Thank you for checking out the Detroit Church Podcast. We are a growing community in the heart of the city, and we exist to awaken Detroit to the greatest adventure of all time. We look forward to sharing this journey as God is making all things new. Everybody, Sonny here from Detroit Church. I hope you're doing okay out here in these quarantine streets. Hey, I want to thank you for welcoming me into your home. You have no shortage of options when it comes to churches and all kinds of live streams coming at you. Lots of content, videos. I don't know about you, but if your timeline is like mine, it's been popping off these last couple weeks. And it's lots of encouragement, lots of funny memes, but also lots of information. And if we're not careful, uh, there could almost be this sense of hysteria as we scramble to kind of stay relevant, stay connected, and, and stay in the know with all the latest information. And I just want to take a minute here before we get into uh, what God has for us today in the text um, to confess and to repent to you for my own busyness, my own hyperactivity. You know, even with the quarantine, it's so easy for me to fall into the trap of always being busy, always doing something and always being needed and and going through the mental checklist that I do this, that I check on this person and I finish this task. And if I'm not careful, I can become addicted uh, to the adrenaline rush of always going, going, going. And, you know, we just cannot afford to operate like that. We can't afford to really operate in anything other than the perfect rest that God calls us into. Now, this rest is not a formula, okay? It's not a certain day of the week. It's not a drink. It's not a tea or juice. It's a person. And this is what he says to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up on you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God, your Spirit, would lead us into perfect peace and perfect rest in you and in you alone today, that we would find rest for our unquiet minds and our unstill souls. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing our series through the Gospel of John, and my prayer is that you have been able to see the glory of Jesus revealed uh, through the eternal Son and through the Holy Scriptures in our series called Epiphany. So meet me in John chapter 4, and let's see what the Spirit of God has for us today. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only the disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I want to stop right there. 
He's about to meet someone who is very different than the person he had just met that we see in the previous chapter. You might remember um, Nicodemus, right? Uh, so Nicodemus, number one, was a man. Number two, he was a Jew. Number three, he was a Pharisee. Pharisees were like the, the, the rulers of the Jews, and they were part of the moral and the religious elite, right? They were a really, really big deal. The person that we're about to be introduced to in this passage has a very, very different story. Number one, she's a woman. Two, she's a Samaritan. And three, she has a reputation of being sexually immoral. Now, this shows us the far-reaching scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, the gospel is for everybody. I don't care what your background is or what your story is. It's for everybody. But other than that, you know, we don't really know a whole lot about her. Like, we don't even know her name. Like we get Nicodemus' name, right? Uh, but we don't know a whole lot about this woman here. You know, can you imagine uh, your mistakes and your failures you know, being known throughout the town, the streets talking about all the juicy details about your experience, about your life, but they don't even know your name? You know, just because you know a part of my story, it does not mean that you know me. Matter of fact, if you know a part of my story, then actually you don't know my story, right? You know, so she has been reduced to just being this immoral woman who, yes, she's done some stuff, uh, but there's so, so much more to her. Just like there's so much more to you and I, right, in every one of our lives. And, and let me just say this, you know, with what we're experiencing today, we cannot allow our present reality to define who we are. Our stories are still being written. You know, this year, it's not over yet. The first quarter ain't even over, right? And I'm talking to everyone, whether you're a boomer, or Xer, or Y, or Z, or whatever. I'm talking to Christians, non-Christians, pre-Christians, post-Christians, all of y'all. Do not let Corona, COVID-19, or any other virus or calamity define who you are. And there's so much more to us than that. So to know this woman's story here in John 4 um, is to know that she grew up in a society that ostracized her because of her ethnicity and her gender. It's to know that in the larger culture, uh, the Samaritans were considered half-breed dogs, good for nothing. And that, that wasn't a compliment, the fact that they were called dogs. Right? This ain't DMX, where my dog's at. No, this is not that. The Jews thought of them as the lowest of the low. They were traitors. They were this mixed breed that only existed because of disobedience. And that is exactly how they treated them, like dogs. No respectable Jew would, would ever be caught dead with a Samaritan. And, and they definitely didn't go to Samaria. So the fact that the text here tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria tells us everything that we need to know about him. Because the truth is actually he didn't have to go through Samaria. Geographically, no Jew ever did. They had ways of going around to get where they needed to go, right? This is exactly why we have the story of the Good Samaritan who helped a Jewish man who was robbed and left for dead on a road that he was taking to avoid going through Samaria. But Jesus' have to was not defined by convenience. It was not defined by religious or cultural expectation. It was defined by the will of his father. And the will of his father was for him to meet this woman who was despised by the culture. Uh, you may say despised. How, well, how despised was she? Was it that bad? Well, let me tell you. 
She was so despised that if a Jew walked close enough to a Samaritan to where their shadows crossed, then the Jewish person would be made defiled just by the shadow of the Samaritan. They were so despised that, that even uh, an extreme religious group known as the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees would walk around town. And these were some wild boys, all right? These jokers would close their eyes whenever they saw a Samaritan woman coming down the street because they didn't want to be defiled just by looking at her, even if it meant walking into a wall. Okay, so, so you're not defiled, right? Because you, your eyes were closed, but your face is blue and your lip is busted. Okay, this is what religion does. And guess what? We're not done. There's more. Samaritan women were also despised uh, because it would be nothing for them to hear people praying sincerely, not even sarcastically, right? Sincerely, Lord, thank you that I was not born a Gentile or born a woman. Now, can you imagine hearing that day in and day out and to, to not really see anything positive portrayed about you in the culture? Nothing positive about you in the news or in the magazines. And, and we, they lived in a society where the societal standards of beauty looked nothing like them. To never hear that you were made in the image of God and that your life actually matters. And that who you are was pleasing to God. They were so despised that the religious rulers actually created laws that suggested that the Samaritan women were perpetual menstruants. What that means is that they were always on their cycle and they constantly bled. Well, why is that a big deal? Well, the Old Testament taught that the life of the flesh is in the blood. So they were not to touch any animal or any person who was bleeding. That's why we have the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And it's a big deal because she was an outcast. Yet she comes to Jesus, touches his garment, and she's healed when she was not supposed to be near anyone. And this is why they believed that there was no hope at all for the Samaritan women, because they were thought to live in this perpetual state of defilement. And this is what this woman here in our text lived under 24-7, every day of her life. Nothing she touched, no place that she drank from, no place she sat at was considered clean enough for anyone to come behind her. Now, can you imagine what this would do to a person's sense of wealth or worth? What it would do to their self, their self-esteem or their sense of purpose. If you've never been affirmed by your family, by your community or, or your church or, or those around you, then what often happens is we start looking for it in other places, many times all the wrong places. So she began looking for it in romantic relationships, not unlike so many of us. So can we not point our finger at her? Or others like her because of how much of a hot mess we think they are. Because what that does is that trivializes who they are and undermines how society has beat them down. So she comes to the well, the text tells us, at the sixth hour. This would be at 12 noon, a time where she knew that there would not be a lot of traffic. Because of her lifestyle, because of her, 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 her demographic, she didn't want to see anybody. You ever left the house to make a quick run, hoping you don't run into anybody that you know? Well, that's her. And she gets to the well, and, and I can only imagine what she feels like when she takes a look and she hears a man, a Jewish man, who is a rabbi sitting there against the well. Verse 7, again, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, can you imagine how caught off guard she must be? Like she just said, a Jew was not supposed to even be in their neighborhood. And definitely they shouldn't be talking to them, right? The only men that talked to her were men that wanted to get something from her and not give her anything but pain and heartache. So she was used to men breaking their promise. I can only imagine the shock that she feels when Jesus starts to talk to her. She probably wants to say something like, you know, why are you even here? You don't want to be around me. If you knew what, what my life was like, if you knew what I did last night, if you knew why I came to this well at this time of day, just so I wouldn't have to interact with people like you or answer any questions. If you really knew me, you would not want to be here with me. Now, it's important for us to remember, as verse 3 tells us, he had to go this way. Why is that? Because there was a divine appointment that was at stake. You ever had Jesus show up in your life when you least expect him? Like when, when you mind your own business and all of a sudden you are on the Holy Ghost's radar, right? And, 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 and he gets your attention in a way that blows your mind. I remember being a, a freshman at college, one of the most vivid experiences I have uh, with the tangible presence of God as well at a party at Calvin College in 1994. Now, I realize Calvin College is not necessarily known for breaking any top party school list, right? But for me, this was a big deal. So I'm here on the dance floor and I'm doing my thing and I'm, you know, I'm moving. So who knows, it's 1994, so maybe Aaliyah's back, back, back and forth. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that. And uh, I'm probably sticking out like a sore thumb because I can't dance. And, uh, and the presence of God hits me tough. And I'm dancing away, doing my thing, but kind of like, Jesus, please leave me alone. Just let me get through this song. And uh, I remember leaving the dance floor, walking outside and having this encounter with God, I would call it a divine appointment. And in that conversation, he simply affirms me for who I am, lets me know that he would never leave me or forsake me. And he says some other things to me. I just want you to know that, that he will show up to you when you least expect him. He will show up at your party and blow your whole high. That's right. So what he says to her is what he's saying to each and every one of us today. I came here to be with you. You don't repulse me. I'm not afraid of you. Your story is not too much for me to handle. It doesn't matter what you've been going through. It doesn't matter what you've been exposed to. I came here for you and you are exactly who I want to see. Now, notice Jesus does not come to her about her past or her marriages or all her brokenness first. He starts off by asking her for something. That's what he says. He simply says, I need help. I need your help. I think that's profound. And what if we as a church learn this simple and loving approach of Jesus by first affirming that the world has something to offer instead of going to them with, with all of our doctrine, all of our theology, making us look like we're the ones in the know and they're the ones who are not in the know. What would happen if we approach those who are, who are different than us by acknowledging that you have something that would give me life? Can I have a drink of water? 
Before I offer you anything, you have value and you have worth. So Jesus gives this woman a sense of self-esteem and dignity by first identifying with her vulnerability. She had something that he needed. Let me just encourage you. And in case you don't know, it remind you and inform you that every single person that you encounter, whether they are a different race, a different gender, a different social economic status, sexual preference, whether they are book smart or street smart, homeless or refugee, city, suburb, it doesn't matter, whether they are Republican, Democrat, or independent, Wolverine or Buckeye, Biggie fan, Tupac fan, doesn't matter. They too are bearers of the image of God and they have water to offer us. And more importantly, they have something to offer God. And that is where we start. That's where Jesus started. Then in verse 10, he goes a little deeper. Let's read. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow. So <laughs> Jesus makes this enigmatic statement that grabs her attention. And I can only imagine, she's like, what, what? Living water? What is this living water you speak of? You see, the witness of Christ is so interesting and it's so innovative and creative that it makes people want to ask us more questions. Wouldn't it be dope if we, as, as Christ followers, lived our lives in a way that made him attractive to a hurting and watching world? No, I'm not talking about being men pleasers. I'm not talking about like just living for the culture, right? We know that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. However, we are in the world. So I'm talking about living in a freedom and an abundance, the abundance of heaven here on earth because the world is watching. And anyone whose life is, is messed up probably already knows that they need to get it together. So we should live our lives in such a way that, that right as they are about to blow us off or write us off, they lean in like this woman and say, wait, 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 wait. What did you say? That's what happens here. Let's look at verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Like She's so flustered. She starts rambling like you don't even have a bucket. You're asking me for water. Like she doesn't know what to say. She's at a loss for words. And, and then she starts talking religion, the default for many of us, whether you are Christian or not. Verse 12, are you greater than our father, jo Jacob? Are you greater than Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Get this. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She wants it, yo. She's like, sir, yes, please. And thank you. Why is that? Because she's had enough of the counterfeit stuff. For years, she has come to this well only to come back thirsty again and again. And that is exactly what happens, friends, as we try to fill the void in our soul with anything other than Jesus. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be work, education, marriage, your kids, sex, food, sports, whatever. It doesn't matter, positive or negative. If you keep coming back to the well of water, 
thinking that it will satisfy your deepest thirst, you will end up right back. Why? Because you will become thirsty again. And Jesus is saying to her what he says to us. Only he can offer us the kind of satisfaction that will last forever and never, ever run dry. You know, I talk to a lot of people who find themselves bored in church or feeling like they're not growing. And perhaps you may find yourself like that. And I want to offer to you, could it be that you've been drinking from the wrong well? Even the well of religion runs dry. Ask me how I know. So she says to him, yes, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming back here, humiliating myself every day. Now, I want to speak this story up and let you know what ends up happening. In verse 16 here, Jesus says, great, go get your husband and come back and, and, and see me. And she's like, husband, husband where? Husband who? Now, Jesus reads her mail in the coldest but most loving way, not to embarrass her. Uh, because he wants to he wants to do something here. He's he's got her attention, but now he wants to make a divine exchange. It goes from a divine appointment to this divine swap. Right? So so get this. So to help her value the real thing that he wants to offer her, he first wants her to bring him the counterfeit. To help her understand the true treasure of what he wants to give her, he says, bring me what's not working so that I can give you what does work. Bring me what does not satisfy you so that I can give you true satisfaction. Then he, then he opens up, right? He, he, he just opens up all the mail and he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. He's your boo. Okay? <laughs> so, so, Here's something important to know. In this culture, a woman couldn't just divorce a man. Only men could divorce women. And they could divorce her for like some silly reasons. I won't go into all of them. But some of them is if, if she develops a physical abnormality that he didn't know about, right? Or if she couldn't have children. Or if she couldn't cook, he could divorce her. Some of y'all will be in trouble out there, right? And to divorce her, all he had to do was go to a public space and say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. That's it. Three times. Done. What kind of Dorothy clicking her heels, Wizard of Oz stuff is that, right? Amazing. And five times this woman went through that. Five times, five men promised her, I do. And five times they did it. So maybe now she's over it. Maybe she doesn't even want anyone to marry her. Maybe she's just trying not to be on the streets. And what happened to her is what happens to so many of us. We keep going back to the same well time after time, hoping that we would get the satisfaction we long for. But baby, that well is designed to keep you coming back. Brother, that well cannot, will not satisfy you. I don't care what that well is. Jesus wants to meet you there for a divine exchange so that you will never be thirsty again. And he's after one thing. Find me at verse 23 and 24. This is what Jesus says to her. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what he's saying. There's only one acceptable sacrifice. That's it. There's only one way to worship and that is in spirit and in truth. Now, please hear this. Notice he's not seeking worship. No, this is God. Creation worships him. The heavens worship him and declare his glory and his majesty. It says here the father is seeking worshipers, meaning he wants you. He wants your heart. And the heart of worship is spirit and truth. Now, you are a spirit. Remember that you are a spirit like God is a spirit. You are a spirit. You possess a soul and you live in a body. Now, the word spirit there means the unseen, ethereal, immaterial realm. The word truth here means reality. It means the real deal, right? No masks. And this is what he's saying. God is after both in your worship. This is true worship. He wants both. He wants what's on the inside and what's on the outside. I like to call it this. It's the outward show of the inward work. The outward show of the inward working. Something is on the inside that is working and it's being expressed out in how I live my life. Now, so much more here in this text. My time is up. And uh, I, I don't have time to get through all of it, but I do want you to know that Jesus here is on this mission from his father to meet this woman. This is why he had to go this way. He says that the harvest was ready to be picked. They were ready, y'all. And even with all the barriers in the culture, Jesus connects with her. And he, he doesn't get defensive with her responses when she doesn't open up immediately. He puts his reputation on the line to talk to this woman. And she is forever changed. And she goes back into town and she tells everyone about this man that she met who told me everything I ever did, she says. Wow. So they're so impacted, they want to meet him too. So Jesus ends up staying in town for two days among the people who were defiled. Talk about being vulnerable. There's a lot of talk about who the most vulnerable are these days. And here in our story, Jesus engages the most vulnerable by meeting her and meeting that entire town right where they were at. And today he's doing the same thing with us. He's doing the same thing with you, meeting you right where you're at. I don't care where you're at, sitting right there. He's sitting beside your favorite well. Whatever thing you, you, you tend to go to when you're thirsty, when you're longing, that you tend to go to for affirmation, he's sitting right there for a divine exchange and a divine swap. The one with the most power, the most majesty, the one with the most glory, the one with the most to lose. He has made himself the most vulnerable. Mm. See, the word vulnerable means to be capable of being physically or emotionally wounded. It means to be open to attack or damage, to be open to criticism. And this is what he has done. God Almighty, all-powerful and all-knowing, becoming woundable and killable on our behalf, displaying the greatest level of vulnerability the world has ever known. This is what he's done. By taking my place and taking your place on that cross, we are the ones deserving of punishment and death, but praise be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. 
Thanks for listening to the Detroit Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and rate. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Detroit Church.